All right, uh, welcome to another episode of Conspiracy Social Club, aka Deep Waters. First off, I got to tell you guys where I'm going to be. This, this New Year's Eve, December 31st, January 1, January 2, Phoenix, Arizona, Stand Up Live, then Port Charlotte, Florida. Where is that? I don't know, it's, but I'll be at the Visani Theater, January 7, 8, and 9. Then, as if that's not enough, we got, we got Nashville, Tennessee at Zanies, February 11th, 12th, and 13th. I think I'm going to be in Chicago, too, somewhere in January. I hope they fixed the wall at Zanies. Did you see that? A truck drove through the wall? What? No. A giant truck drove through Zany and Nashville's wall. Where where, um, are you going to be? You going to be on the road, buddy? Dude, you know what, man? I'm just chilling right now, dude. I'm just chilling. I'm waiting to find out. You know, I did a couple gigs, and they were fun, but... You know, like I couldn't do sell my merch inside, and it was just like I'm gonna yeah, take a break. Yeah, and I gotta well, sell merch to make it <laughs> worth it for me because right. you know I'm killing this internet game, so I'm chilling. <laughs> I'm chilling. Um, I love you, uh, guys. Special guest, um, the guy. Hey, real quick, real quick. Yeah. Sorry, check out my cameos. I am on fire on cameo. Yes, manifestos, manifestos of love. Check them out. I'm dropping this those. Game. You're dropping yeah. those. I'm dropping I'm gonna manifestos. I'm going to buy one. I'm going to buy one from Sam. Hey, dude, I subscribe to our, our, our Patreon. Just to let you know that I throw in five oh, yeah. bucks. So I give oh, really? you bet. Yeah, there you go. Five bucks. I love you, brother. Uh, next to me right now, sitting below me, he's a lot taller, he's 6'4, but he's, you're kind of hunched down. 80 years old, big Mike Callan, my father. I wanted to bring him on to Conspiracy Social Club, aka Deep Waters. Now, the man has tra- traveled to how many countries have you been to, do you think, in your life? Actually, uh, going back to the days when I had uh, responsibility, global responsibility for Citicorp Investment Bank, we were, we were not 190 countries. I probably made it to all of them one time or another. The man's been to 190 countries. Yeah, Let's that, start that, there. That has no meaning. That just means that you were going and showing the flag and meeting the people that were there. But you've been to Iraq, yeah. Pakistan, Saudi yeah, Arabia? Yeah, I, I used to go to Iraq quite a lot. Quite you did. a lot, back in the old days. And I, the, only, the only claim to fame that I'll have on my tombstone is I may be the only person you will ever meet who met and talked to Osama bin Laden. And really? Thing, but a lot of people met Saddam in those days. He would have his modules every Friday. Why did you, why did you meet them? Well, already it's people been a deep family state. in Saudi Arabia, <laughs> which is where we had a very large As you know, you lived for a while. Uh, there are 21 Bin Laden brothers. It's, uh, it's a very big contracting business. We had a very large banking relationship. So I was in talking to Abu Bakr one time about our business association, and the door opened and in, you know, in an Arab environment, you have to realize not, not like the one we're accustomed to. You could be sitting as we are right now and somebody, a member of the family or somebody well-known will walk in and have a seat, not invited, doesn't have to be. So Usama came in and he sat between the two brothers over on the sofa. And Abu Bakr said, say hello to my brother Usama. He's just back from, uh, I think he had just come back from the Sudan. It was shortly after that, the Saudi government uh, disowned him and kicked him out. Uh, But when I got up to leave, about 15 minutes later, the three brothers uh, stood up and uh, they came over and we stood and we talked for about 10 minutes through a translator. I should have told them not to do that. He's got a book right now on a shelf by Steve Cole called The Bin Ladens. He's read, he's read everything there is. There, there, there is a very wide variety. The uh, Bin Laden brothers were always identified by the mother. Uh, and, and Usama's mother was what they call in the kingdom religious, as was he. So, so uh, Sam is a, well, this is a, a, a podcast where we, we, I try to debunk conspiracy theories. Sam is a big believer in conspiracy theories. And you, you tend not to be. Can I ask I a question, Brian? I tend not to be. I am Mr. Totally Kellen, are you a lizard person? <laughs> are you a lizard mean. person? 
There's chat boards that believe you're a, you might be a lizard person. Yeah, Any they think you're on deep state. They think you're because I I always say these things and it creates a mystery around you. But but that that I'm no, leaving. No, I, I, no, no. <laughs> he's not. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I had to ask. I had to ask. Get out of the way. 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 No more dumb questions. No, no more dumb questions. Guilty. He wanted to leave when you asked him that pointing question, Sam. That's, that's okay. Bad. How about this? What are CFR Christmas parties like? Are they festive? Are they fun? Do you guys do Quaza? Quanza? What's like, a CFR? What? No, oh. we, do, we do Quanza. Yes, we do. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Wait, you so let's talk a little bit about the global uh foreign policy. What, what was it? What is it that you're saying? This, what is CFR? Uh, the, the Council of Foreign Relations. Oh, yeah. 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 So, um, wait, wait, before you start, there's a big, there's a there's a conspiracy theory that the Council on Foreign Relations is full of sort of this cabal of evil people that are trying to control the world. So could you give us a little insight? Are you, have you, you've, you've, you've sat in on that. Well, I've been a member of the council. <laughs> I've been a member of the council for over 30 years. Oh. So, uh, and I won't say because I live out here, I go to many meetings. Uh, that seems to me the most fantastic story I've ever heard. I've heard a few. Uh, the Council on Foreign Relations is nothing more than a coffee clutch. That's basically what it is. Uh, they've got a very nice premises on Park Avenue. Uh, it's one of the very nice buildings. They could sell it today for $80 million. They, the uh, guy in charge of it, it rotates, but the guy in charge of it uh, was at the State Department. He was number two for a while. I don't think he did all that well there. He was there under uh, Clinton. Um, and they have some ability to attract uh, significant figures. Like, for example, at the council, my own personal experience, I met Gorbachev there. He came and gave, gave a talk when he was visiting the States after he left office. Uh, Dan Quayle came one time. We've had a few ex-presidents. Henry Kissinger used to come as... Is he, uh, what's Henry the, Kissinger uh, like? Uh, uh, he knows he you've had some i've actually met kissinger because you moderated a, a debate with you kissinger. met him you came to <clears> an <throat> event when i had him you you met him yeah uh i think every one of those people and then they have media people like diane sawyer comes quite a lot but uh and i haven't seen her on television in 20 years i don't even know if she still is on but uh you know, I mean, any one of those people that you would tell is is some kind of a part of a conspiracy would get a very good laugh out of it. There's no connection between any of them. Um, and it's actually, as a, as a coffee clutch, as a forum, it has lost some of its uh, luster in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, I'd say. Do you have any questions about it, Sam? What are, the, what are some of the rumors? Well, you know, it's. Uh, have you ever heard of the Passar family, sir? I just have a question about that. Have you ever heard of the Passars? Nope, never. Um, no, I haven't. What, when people think of the Illuminati, what do you think of that, sir? And I, I, I'm with all love and respect. I'm asking. <laughs> I, I would never be disrespectful. <laughs> so, so, so that's a term that was coined by uh, media people a long time ago. If you ever had a group of Illuminati around, they wouldn't know they were part of that. Uh, I might even have been a part of it at one time when I was a very senior guy at City. What the hell? But, hey, but, hey, I got a reputation it here. It just means, it means that- Illuminati confirmed. Considered somewhat prominent in the opinion-making circles or whatever administration happens to be current. But you can fall out of that in a big hurry. I would much rather be a part of the literati, not the uh, Illuminati. The <laughs> Illuminati is a media creation. And if I had one thing to advise you about with all the experience I've had in my life is don't trust the media. And there we go. Or whether That's it's right wing or left wing, most of what they say is untrue. Both right wing and right, left wing. Oh yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, because look, they're in the entertainment business. They're not in the education business. People always approach the media as if it's educational. And it's decidedly not educational, it's entertainment. So they would, I, I'll tell you the first experience I had, I was interviewed on one of the, one of the uh, TV stations, a network, 
and they were uh, during the uh, when you go to the green room they have somebody that makes you up a little bit before you you go on and the producer came in and he said Callan we'd love to have you tonight we're having a panel discussion and are you free tomorrow and next week I want you here's my card just call me anytime you want to come up well, then I realized, and I never thought of it before, that they've got to fill 365 days, 24-7 space. They yeah. try to do that sometimes. Yes. You've yes. got to do that. And if you've got a guy that can crack a joke like me, uh, you know, he's not going to answer their questions with one word, that, that's, that's treasure to them. The other thing I learned is that if you're interviewed by – Brian Callen, and you're accustomed to watching this channel, and it's got 50 people like Brian Callen. Brian Callen is your owner. He owns you. Nobody oh, snaps to you and say, hey, would you come on my interview? They own you, like Tucker Carlson is particularly uh, jealous of them. So, I mean, it's, it's like everything else. It's never what it seems to be. Um, go on, Brian. No, go ahead, buddy. Uh, is there anybody in your experience that was uh, not the nicest guy that you met? I mean, I'm not looking for you to say anything, but you're like, he was a little, he was a little different, or like he was a little bit more callous than maybe. Are you talking about a political person? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah, uh, someone um, you met where you're like, ooh, that guy's darkness or something. Yeah, sure. I mean, Kissinger, for example. Uh, was and is an incredibly egotistical person and he wouldn't even object when you uh, tell him that he uh loves himself uh he really believes he's uh the smartest guy in the world he might even get close to objectively speaking being there um for example, if you wanted every time we wanted him to come and talk to our clients, we had to send an airplane for him. God forbid Henry Kissinger. So, well, I can understand that, by the way. I mean, if you're Henry Kissinger and get onto a commercial flight, they'll never leave you alone. But, but he's basically very, very egotistical. So all those stories are true. In fact, he's got a brother named Walter, and Walter once it doesn't have a, a anything and not a trace of an accent. And somebody asked him, uh, Walter, why does your brother Henry have an accent and you don't? And he said, because, uh, because I listen. <laughs> How about that? And Henry never had. The, the one thing my father has in common with a lot of conspiracy theories, theorists, though, since the day I... Good looks. No, besides that, by the way, 80 years old. 80 years old. Stunningly good looking. 80. How does your dad look younger than you, Brian? Yeah, I, I, because he because he's a lizard person. I wish <laughs> now, now, but here's, a, here's the thing. He's always had a, a healthy distrust of government and, I, and, and is far more in favor of small government than, for example, I am. But he, you've always been essentially a libertarian, always very liberal, always believed in things like gay marriage and legalizing drugs, right? As far as back as I can remember. Well, it, look, you could make this very simple and short. You can go on forever. You don't want to do that, especially in this form. In 1965, way before you guys were even thought of, I attended the signing ceremony of the Anti-Poverty Act in Washington. And Lyndon Johnson was president, and everybody was all excited we're going to eradicate poverty we're going to have a great society at all levels of government it could make this very terse at all levels of government since that time uh we have spent about three trillion dollars very difficult to get your mind around a trillion it's a thousand billion it's all the money in the world it's there, there is no and there never will be a trillionaire i can't even imagine it but you know in the, if we have a lot of inflation, I suppose it's possible. Nevertheless, uh, at, at all levels of government, we have done that. And we were going to eliminate poverty. Well, the poverty rate hasn't even been dented. And that was uh, 55 years ago, about the time I got married. And now the latest campaign, whoever you're for, was all about eliminating poverty. 
but that's what they were doing 55 years ago when they signed that act. And it, it is a massive failure. A guy who was in government, part of the intelligence community, I've known for almost that long time. Intelligence. Uh, he, he said to me, you know, Mike, one out of every five children go to bed hungry in this country. And I said, if that's true, it is a massive indictment of the poverty programs we've had in place for all that time. Now, there's a whole lot of reasons, and this is where you get into a long discussion I'm not going to do, unless it's prepared and I was reading from a text or something. But there's a whole lot of reasons that these massive government programs don't work. And it all has to do with the incentive structure of government. So it's a monopoly. That's the first bad thing. It has a whole bunch of people who don't get any immediate feedback like you do in business when you lose customers. Uh, and it can't go out of business. It's impossible. So it, it's a self-perpetuating myth-making machine. Myth-making, uh, myth Sam. I think the government's job is to provide for our external security, and I think they do a pretty good job, to provide for internal security. We have police forces and things so that robbers can't come in and shoot you, even though there's enough of that going on. And then the third thing is to prevent monopoly. Well, I have a, I disagree with you, but that's okay because I think government does a lot more. Why? Than that. Why is that significant? Well, no, the, well, I, I, mean, I just think you're missing you're missing out on the fact that the Department of Energy. I ask that every show, sir. I go, <laughs> why is that important that you don't agree? Sounds with like me? you wrote a book. Yeah, I wrote a book. I think I think there's a lot about government we don't understand. Uh, the Department of Energy, Department of Commerce, Department of Agriculture feeds a lot of people that couldn't be fed otherwise. Yeah, you're um, assuming you read Michael Lewis's yeah, book, and yeah. you're assuming you're assuming that. <laughs> private sector couldn't do I am. most of them. And they couldn't. And they couldn't. Yeah. And if they, they They've could, never they been asked to, but whatever the private sector is going to do is going to be done a lot better and more efficiently oh, I, than the government does. Uh, that, that, that's a whole different argument. I'd love to have that argument with you. I'd love to. But, but um, Why, Brian? Do you want to lose the family, too? Come on, no, man. No, no, Your dad is like lighting you up right now. Yeah, no, no. We're, yes, I know. <laughs> we, we'll, we'll have that argument off, off air because... Um, because I'll give I, you this. There's no constituency in this country for small government. It doesn't exist. So you're going to win. What do you mean there's no constituency? Oh, you mean there's this? No, there is no good. If you say who is for more poverty acts, who is for uh, immigration, free immigration, I can tell you people who are for that, and they have a group around them. They have lobbyists and one thing and another. There is nobody. There's no lobbyist in Washington, and I used to do a lot of that running around Capitol Hill. There is nobody who says, we want smaller government. They well, may say it in some general sense, but then you say, okay, we're going to take away your Social Security, take away your Medicare, take away your aid to families, to dependent children. Oh, no, 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 I don't want any of that. Okay, then we're going to take away defense. No, 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 no. So there, it, once you get past the entitlement programs, everything else is a rounding error in the government's budget. Well, there's also the management of nuclear waste. There's also investment in, in innovative ideas. All around you. Like, 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 uh, like um, immunotherapy, Siri, GPS, internet, all that stuff was started and developed by, by, by the Department of Defense and Department of Energy, Tesla. But, it's, but we can get into that. But, but, uh, but Sam, since my dad's talking about government, he doesn't trust government. He also believes the moon landing happened. And yeah. And you don't. And I want to know why my father trusts the government when they say that somebody they put somebody on the moon and they're supposed to be incompetent, but somehow they were able to do that. And one of the things they say, Big Mike, is that- Big Mike. Yeah, I call him Big Mike. Conspiracy theorists, conspiracy theorists say that, how the hell were they able to talk to somebody when they're on the moon? How the hell were they able to communicate with somebody that far away in 1963? When was it? Well, sixty-eight, I think. Right? If, if you if you if you postulate that we did not put a man on the moon, but it was a giant hoax, and it was done for I've heard several different reasons, then you what you're saying is you don't know how the government works, the federal government works. You don't have any idea. If you ask anyone that's ever worked in government, 
and you say, I don't think we put a man in the moon, this was a big hoax, they laugh their asses off. Because in order for that to be uh, pulled off, uh, the ability of, uh, you'd have to have a conspiracy that involves 50,000 people that have kept their mouths shut for 50 some years. Uh, and it would cover at least, I can count them now, nine nations that were at tracking stations and involved in the technology. So to have all that done, it's much easier to put it down. <laughs> so because why, why wouldn't they have gone? Why haven't we gone back? Gone back to the well, moon. Why haven't we? Yeah, well, and there's just weird things, sir, where it's like, oh, we lost all the data. All the all the data's gone. No, like, oh, we what? didn't lose all. We didn't lose all the data. What we did was we defeated the Russians. Look, in one sentence the proof of having actually gone to the moon is uh, that the Russians stopped trying. See, there was a race to get there and the Russians, after we got there, stopped trying. By the way, getting to the moon, from one point of view, may sound like an astounding feat, but it's really not. I mean, it's really not that astounding. We have, been, we have put vehicles on Mars, not people, but we put vehicles on Mars. There, there are two major reasons that we didn't go back to the moon and do it again. The first reason is there was no reason to do so anymore because we won the Cold War. And you know there was just no, no purpose in showing the world that we're better technologically. Everybody knew that. The Russians had nothing to show for it. And the second reason was that it was incredibly expensive. And there, as I said, there was, it didn't have, uh, Mary Bell? Yeah. Could I have a coffee? Thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, the second reason is that, you know, it just was so expensive that you didn't have a lobby. You didn't have a source of sustenance for all these programs has somebody who is are very large groups of people that are very much interested. Uh, Sorry. Who are very much interested in whatever it is that they're getting out of this very small constituency for the moonshot, for the whole space program. I Would mean, nobody's going to go and live on the moon, whatever fiction that you may have. So we, we had been up there. We knew what it was made of. We knew most of that anyway. And it wasn't very far away, 250,000 miles is nothing. Uh, so it, there's a lot going on, as he, Brian will tell you from Lewis's book, uh, in terms of uh, <laughs> planets that are further out, like Mars and things like that. So there's no child labor camps on the moon, on the dark side of the moon? Is that <laughs> Only a couple. There, oh, there, yeah. those, okay. I mean, let's not make a big deal out of a couple of <laughs> So let me just ask one thing, because... Uh, do, would you say, sir, that there is a possibility of the government lying to the people in order to gain uh, a certain uh, action, a certain uh, event to happen, such as like there the is, Gulf of Tonkin? There is a strong motive for uh, administrations to spin, and they do it every day. That's a totally different item. They, they, spin, they spin the narrative. They spin information. They lie. The government is so big, it, it covers such a huge area. The U.S. economy is so enormous that any president or secretary of treasury can get up, Federal Reserve chairman, can get up and make a speech which emphasizes all the positives. And, and they do it. But we have in place... And this is why it's a great country. It's not because of all the things that all the politicians say. The reason it's a great country is it's almost impossible to get away with any of that stuff for very long because you have a hostile press. If you talk to any president or cabinet officer uh, after they have been in office for a while, they will all tell you that they hate the media. It's not just Donald Trump. They all do. Even Obama will tell you that. 
the goddamn media, you can't trust them. And, you know, they, they, and the reason that they hate it, it's a good reason, actually, for us, for all the citizens. It's because they question everything you say, because they know that everything you say is self-serving and that you know how to say it very smoothly and use all the right words. So they're immediately out there trying to prove that you're a liar. Do you, do you, in your time, have you seen, like, does the media seem even more nasty than ever in the last four years with, you know, the arrival of Donald Trump? And yeah. is Donald Trump anything different than those uh, yes. before them? Yes. And I have to hear, uh, I've got a Donald Trump story. I'm going to tell oh, you. Boom, 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 boom. He, he, worked, he, 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 Donald he, Trump was a real estate guy in New York. I was in charge of city's real estate business, uh, and others too. And we had a relationship with the Trumps. So Trump was inviting our relationship managers on, uh, uh, his yacht for parties and his helicopter to fly down to Atlantic city and so forth. And I found out that our guys were doing that. So I wrote a memo and the memo said, uh, no one is allowed to accept any invitations to those type of affairs by Trump. Our account officer made a big mistake. He went and told Donald that uh, his boss had said this. So Donald calls me up and says, we've got to meet and talk. And I knew what it was about. So I went over to the Trump Tower. The first thing I noticed when I walked in was a nine by 12 tableau, which had his every magazine cover he had ever been on, including the Southwest Manhattan Real Estate Gazette. And That's this is week and so forth. And I said to myself, this guy is sick. But I will tell you, he oozed charm from every pore. He never brought up the issue. Uh, and when I got back to the office, I fired the account officer naturally. Um, <laughs> And he said he had a job with Trump, which it didn't come through. I can't imagine why not. Here is why Donald Trump is different. I don't think we've had a president as mentally ill as he is. <laughs> no, no, he really is. He's clearly a narcissist. Uh, and he's got other things wrong with him. And he has assaulted the truth beyond any president in our history. There is none that comes even close. They'll all spin. They'll all leave things out and put other things in. He, Trump, anytime he has been in front of the camera, which for presidents is about 10 times a day, he has lied. If you can find one time he's been in front of a camera for more than 10 minutes without telling two or three lies, I'd love to see it. It's a total assault on truth, and I will, I'll tell you, an organization I don't have any faith in, the Washington Post, has kept track and, and uh, uh, published a book, and it's called Donald Trump's Assault on Truth, and they are up to 20,000 lies he has told, and I'm sure by now it's 30,000. So uh, the, the point is, it, even though it's a Washington Post, and I wouldn't trust them to because they they would vote for Karl Marx if they could. Uh, the the facts are that they say here is a video clip of him saying this, and here is a speech of him saying that. And he said the moon is made out of green cheese. Okay, now let's look at the facts. The moon is not made out of green cheese. And he goes through it. It's a boring book because it's one lie after another. So the guy is appealing to 70 million Americans that struggled out of the fourth grade. Um, and that's condescending, though. I um, mean, I think that's condescending. The guy, the guy, well, sure. but, but I mean, the guy, not everybody who voted for Trump and not everybody who supports Trump is, is you know, is dumb, a racist or any of that. A lot of them are people who are just so dissatisfied with business as usual with government that's that right. they were desperate enough to try Trump. That, I agree with that. Okay, good. That's important. I don't want to, I don't want, yeah. The I only problem I have with it is they voted for, I mean, 70 billion voted for him again. Well, they were voting for, but, but they, who was up against him? 
Biden. A very innocuous, a very innocuous milquetoast guy in Joe Biden. And they may have been invited. See, I voted against Hillary Clinton. I mean, for her, for me, she's the antichrist. Oh, snap. There we go. There we go. See? Now, see, my dad's all over the place, but there are a lot of things that conspiracy theorists would agree on, and a lot of people, they things that they, but, but it's, it's funny, because he's, he's hard to pin down with his political point of view. Well, no, but I, I, I have a right to be totally against Hillary Clinton, but I'm not totally against Joe Biden. I would be totally against Kamala Harris, and there are people that voted against her. But I, I you know, what, what's, you know, there's nothing to vote against in Joe Biden. He's been in government for 50 years. He, uh, tell me some position he has that you object to. Are you concerned about this, chi this Chinese connection that's coming out? Uh, you know, 10% for the big guy. Are you worried about any of that where there's, he's taking money from the CCP? And your thoughts on China, sir, and what, China represents, like how much of this rhetoric that we're hearing right now do you feel is actual and how much of it is just more of the military industrial complex trying to rev up a cold war? Well, you know, again, you're using these terms as people do, and I'm not criticizing you even. Oh, no, you can, crazy. you can, this light me up, dude. I saw in first grade. Complex. Let's take that. <laughs> There's Let's no military industrial military. complex, okay. There Dwight is. Eisenhower, before your birth, Dwight Eisenhower made a speech when he was leaving office. And he said, eight years in office, there's one thing I want to tell the American people. We've got to be very careful in this Cold War we're in where we're spending vast amounts of money competing with the Soviet Union. Remember in those days we thought the Soviet Union was out ahead of us. They never were even close. Um, and, but anyway, we thought they were. So we've got this huge industry. And I used to bank them. We've got this enormous industry that we are counting on to build weapons for us so we can defend ourselves against these evil communists. And they and the military over there in the Pentagon are working together for an objective we have laid out for them to achieve. And we're spending billions of dollars. In those days, a billion dollars meant something. And we've got to watch out. We've got to watch out that we don't have too much power concentrated in their hands. Okay. Now, no. we had relationships with all of the major defense contractors, and I used to go and visit them all the time. And the one thing they would all admit, including Boeing, is that our main customer is the Department of Defense. And our job here is to keep them happy. That's the main thing. And by the way, when they say we want this kind of a weapon system and we go in and bid, and giving them a proposal, we're up against about five others who also want that deal. And we're eating each other's lunch and we're not allowed to talk to each other. And in fact, they don't. Uh, and we're he very heavily controlled. So I sit and scratch my head and say, military industrial time, they don't even talk to each other. And they're not allowed to because of antitrust laws. And this is very severely policed. So I say to myself, uh, Jesus, and because the American public is convinced that there's something going on, when they build the F-35, which has only recently been completed, every time there is a problem with a really sophisticated and complicated system like that, uh, the, the contractor is the one that's got to, uh, you know, cough up the cash. So what they thought they were going to make on this, they make about half if they're lucky. So I, it's much more complex than just a military. I think people have in mind a smoke-filled room when they say those things. It's not, none of that is true. It doesn't work that way. What about China, though? He said, because I, I, one time we were having a conversation about how China was taking over the world, and then you basically said, I don't agree. Why did he leave? Is it something I said? Yeah, yeah. He's, he probably has to go pee or something. I think he was, oh, he's back. He's back. What, what, what about, what did you say? About, about uh, I'll wait till this guy's here. So I, I just said, what about China? Because you, oh. I, I was talking about, we were talking about how China is, 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 you know, making these huge strides in artificial intelligence, is, is, is making inroads in our, our political system, buying politicians and, and getting their foothold in the United States and controlling the United States. And you, 
you at dinner said you had a different point of view. Yeah, I do. I have a different point of view, which grows <clears throat> out of the fact that uh, we were going to be taken over by the Russians. There was no doubt about it. We might as well all start learning Russian. They've got all the wonderful, marvelous uh, abilities and strengths and secrets and weapons, and they're going to take us over. No question. No question. Uh, there was a whole group of the American press that was singing that song. And it was, of course, it was all total, total bullshit. I used to go to Russia every three months. And I went on a tour uh, of a couple of their factories. In fact, it was making furniture. And the, my, my guy, the guy I was working with, and they were showing me cardboard cutouts that they would trace in a cut. And I looked at all that and I said, you know, we, we were making furniture like this in the 1940s. I don't mean to insult you, but this is silly. And he said, listen, here's the, he was a guy about my age, so he wasn't young. And he said, listen, talk to anybody that worked in this economy, this command economy, back in those days of Stalin and Khrushchev and the rest. And they'll tell you, we could not believe that you guys believed we were so far ahead. We weren't ahead. We were, we were always like this. It was propaganda. Did we have some rockets? Yeah, we had some rockets and we would use them in every possible way to impress you. So your intelligence community would think that we were way out ahead. And it was never true that we found that out. Oh, then it was Japan. Then Japan's going to take us over. Books, lots of books written on Japan. I read them all. Uh, and at various times, it was various people that were going to run the world. Now, of course, it's China. China came from nowhere, an impoverished hermit kingdom with a bunch of people all dressed in the same suit. We took him and his sister there way back when they first opened up. They 19, 1980, uh, 1982, right? Yeah, they were all a bunch of automatons. I mean, it was incredibly bad. Okay, so now because they're smart, they're cheap, and there's an endless number of them, Deng Xiaoping <laughs> said, okay, why don't we get rich? Why don't we go out and manufacture a lot of this stuff? They'll give us all, they'll show us how to do it. We'll do it and sell it back to them. And they've been, if they hadn't been successful at that, I don't know what they would have been successful at. So they got $600 billion in the bank, in the Central Bank of China. And they have, you know, they, you don't, they're in the thing. I could see behind you things that were made in China. In this room, we're oh, in there man. with stuff that's made in China. Everybody's got stuff made in China. And you know what? Our living standards are much higher as a result of it. But if, and this one thing Trump was on to, we have four times, a uh, four times larger consumer market than any place else in the world, European Union or anything else. Without that, China sends their 350 million laborers back to the rice fields and their ass is grass. They are toast if they ever tried to do that. So it's not, China doesn't have uh, the, the power, we have the power. I don't say we think we should use it. My daughter says, the South China Sea, that's not an American lake. You know, now that they're building a Navy, they ought to have some influence on the South China Sea. The only thing I'm worried about with China is Taiwan, but they've got a lot of problems. I'm talking about China. They've got a lot of problems that's have an enormous debt load, absolutely enormous debt load. And they've got state-owned enterprises, the SOEs, a lot of them that G Jinping has brought back after his predecessor uh, got rid of Jimong uh, and, and some of the others got rid of all that stuff. Good accent. They brought them back. And it's going to be, it's just sucking resources like mad. It's crazy to do that in the name of an ideology. China is not a problem, it's an opportunity. China's not a problem, it's an opportunity. Damn, Sam. A lot of information we're getting hit with here. A lot of information, a lot of information. Uh, do you, uh, as you take a look at what's going on right now, you know, we've heard Brian use words that he's read in books like Marxism and stuff like that. Do you, um, what are your thoughts on that? Everybody thinks Marxism is now here through the schools. We see it starting to enter, uh, a lot of people think in entertainment. 
and stuff like that. Are, is your thoughts on Marxism making a movement in, in the United States? Marxism was dead many, many, many years ago. Marxism and socialism is responsible for the death, mass murder of millions of people, poor bastards, and the starvation and impoverishment of hundreds of millions. The problem is that when you get a Kamala Harris and this Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they're too young to remember any of that. If you're my age, it was like yesterday. For them, they're suckered in by all the propaganda and all the false, you know, little flags that were flown out there in the name of equality and all these wonderful things. They're too dumb and uneducated to know any better. And it's very difficult to educate people like this, but bad ideas die a thousand deaths. And Marxism is another one that's coming along. If you want to make everybody poor, adopt a market Marxist strategy. You know, there are books that can tell you, it can teach all this to you. There's a guy named Stephen Kotkin. And I know this is asking a lot and most people would never do this, but uh, he has just finished two books of a trilogy. The third book hasn't been come out yet. Uh, and I've, I've read two of them, the first two. I'm looking at them. On Stalin? On Stalin. They're this, they're this, this, this thick. They're right over there, and they're all worn. The guy's read. <laughs> Jesus Christ, life's too well, short. Well, you can also listen to them, <laughs> by the way. You guys drive around in Los Angeles traffic a lot. You can listen to these. You can, both. You can also go to YouTube and see Stephen Kotkin, the historian from Princeton. He does, you know, one-hour lectures. You can, you can take that. And he talks about the books and, and what the message was. But look, the, the, there was, here's a number, one of the most astounding numbers I've ever heard. And it's very much part of Marxism. It's not a one-off. Between in 1937 and 1938, the NKVD in the Soviet Union under Stalin. What is the NKVD? It was like the KGB. Right? It's the predecessor to the KGB. The NKVD, Which is like their CIA. The NKVD executed 900,000 people and all of them were innocent. There was absolutely no, not even one bit of evidence against any of them, but they were deemed by Stalin and his people to be enemies of the people. Now I have spoken to and I think through you, Tim Snyder, the uh, historian at Yale, who wrote Bloodlands, which the London Economist said every, every sentient human being should read once, then read again, then read a third time. And without going into what it was, Tim Snyder got his research from the Kremlin archives, which was made available to Western scholars by Boris Yeltsin. Boris Yeltsin died in 2007 as one of the real heroes because he said, you can come in and see everything the communists did. And Tim Snyder and Stephen Kotkin went into the archives and they found single space, dual column, 10 page names that you could, like the Manhattan telephone directory in the old days. And on each page, Stalin's initial was. And the last page, it was his signature. And that group was going to pay the supreme price. And they wiped them out in about a month's time. Just went out and grabbed them, took them out of their houses. That's Marxism for you. And then he starved millions in the Ukraine, which you, if you don't know about, I think you're, as a citizen of the world, you're required to know the starvation in the Ukraine. And one last point on that. There's a guy named Walter Durante who should burn in hell for the rest of his life, yes. the rest of his death for eternity. I don't want to be extreme. Walter Durante was a New York Times correspondent in Moscow. And he was the one guy that the, the Stalin regime did not require to have his copy reviewed for censorship before it went out. The one correspondent. New York Times, ladies and gentlemen. And he got a Pulitzer Prize. He got a Pulitzer Prize. Be which it was withdrawn because, because, because he 
apology. He was a, a Stalin no. apologist. He denied the Ukraine starvation campaign was underway. He denied that they were killing three million kulaks, which are these more uh, middle-class uh, peasants, if you will, that own some land and thing. All of these horrible things, and Walter Durante, who was a communist himself, was the New York Times guy there, feeding us back to the Times, and all of our pseudo-intellectuals who are reading the Times and think they knew something. And if you want a conspiracy theory, yes, you should not think that those days are over forever, especially when it comes to a publication like the Times. <laughs> see, he doesn't like the New York Times or the Washington Post. I think we could see that media a lot. Like there's like, you know, the the Mockingbird media, CIA. What are your thoughts on that? Like the intelligence, their influence on uh, the media, the propaganda. You've talked about that. Do you see that playing out right now in what's going on in the country? And is that a problem? Do we have a problem with, has our intelligence service gotten too strong and are they here for the country? I mean, not. I'm sure there's giant parts of each of the intelligence companies that are good patriots. But you know, we, all there... use, we all use the term CIA. You should know that in Washington, D.C., there are 22 different intelligence agencies, all of them totally independent. The U.S. Navy has one, the U.S. Army has one, Marine Corps has its own intelligence agency. So CIA doesn't have anything to do with those people. And I, I would just tell you that the CIA is given much, much more credit uh, than it has. But everybody tries to use each other. The CIA, which I have been, you know, it's been in a book, so I don't make a big deal of uh, denying it. It would be silly. Uh, I was involved for a while when I was abroad, and I had access to people that they found useful, and they were trying to recruit and all of that, but they are given much more credit than they deserve, much more credit. Every time something happens, it's a CIA, and they have so many constraints since the Rockefeller Commission. They have so many constraints on them. They can't kill anybody anymore. They used to be. Well, that's not, there are, there are, no, the CIA has a robust assassination program. No. Well, somebody does, because the United States still, we, we do, we do. No. The United States does have an assassination yeah, program, and that's no, been written about. What we do, I mean, the, the military, the military assassinates people, or the military. I mean, that that is that is coordinated by the intel by by our intelligence apparatus. If you're talking about a helicopter attack on a so-called terrorist camp, you're right. If you're talking about the CIA sneaking along, like the old days in the Hollywood movies, and shooting somebody, it doesn't happen anymore. It hasn't happened since the Rockefeller Commission in the late 70s. What I'm saying is that we have, we definitely have task forces, units that go and do these kinds of things in foreign countries in a very clandestine that way. That's not true. And we, and in I, fact, I, I, leave it at that because you're going to believe it. it it's part of your lexicon. So, no, so go right ahead. I've read it from very reputable sources. Yeah, I, I know. You read a, you've read a lot of things. So have I. The, the key is to know what you read is plausible and what's not. You've decided to believe that. We did have that in the early 70s, and it got out completely out of hand because the Soviets were doing it, so we were doing it back. But it was mainly directed at Soviet targets and Soviet assets. The CIA has no authority today. And anybody that engaged in that would probably end up in jail. Uh, well, we'll just agree to disagree on that because I happen to think... Now. That the CIA. No, I know it's a popular. The CIA place. has a robust. The CIA, whether it's the CIA or it's a defense intelligence, some there is an intelligence apparatus that is actively involved in killing terrorists. terrorists I, I will right? introduce you to some senior CIA retired now, some senior CIA people. At an appropriate time, I will introduce you and. Let them give you the story. It may not be CIA. I'm just saying the United States has no U.S. government agent. Is the there a shadow government, Mr. Cowan? The U.S. military. Oh, wait, this is going to good question. Is there a Sam shadow government? Is there a deep is there a state? Government? Is there a deep no. state? No. 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 You. Why? What do you mean? Why? There, just, but see, what proof do you have of a shadow government? That is something that is 
said by people who were generally out of power or on their way out of power about a shadow government because they lost a fight. Uh, Trump will talk about that now. But what, I mean, what, what does the shadow government do? This is another good story, and Hollywood loves it. But is there any truth to it? Well, you know, start asking some fundamental questions. Who are these shadow government people? What do they do? Uh, where are they located in government? Deep what in the bowels. And in the bowels of Langley, in the bowels. Yeah, they're, they're down in the bowels. Have you been to face. Antarctica, sir? Have you ever been to Antarctica? I was once, yeah. Whoa! <laughs> See, you guys, Whoa! He's, he's what down there? What are aliens like? Are they cool? <laughs> You know, it's, I wouldn't recommend you go there. <laughs> I'll tell you that millions of penguins is really quite a sight. Yeah. I thought I saw the loss of them when the Catholic nuns uh, graduated me. Yeah, you went to, he, my dad went to the seminary and then, and then, then decided that Jesus wasn't real. You don't so. believe in Jesus, sir? Oh, that's, quest, that's a question I don't answer anymore. I've been down that road. Respect. And it doesn't do any good. But I, I'll tell you, it's a very, very interesting. Hey, you got a good head of hair. You should take off your. I've got I an know. LA Dodger hat downstairs. Yep. Yeah, I know. I should wear. I should wear less yeah, hats. I, but I just had kids, and I don't have time to shower. I just run in and gun in all the time. Um, when you met aliens, right? Were they cool? <laughs> when I met aliens? Yeah, yeah. Were they cool? Were they nice people? What they language were very did they different speak? from the common image. And the main <laughs> reason is that these aliens come from planets where there's very little carbon. And all of our <laughs> organisms are based on a carbon, uh, uh, you know, carbon. We have so much of it. And it can bind to make uh, long molecules and things. And they, they don't have that. So they're kind of blobby. They're, they're kind of blobs. They're, they're a very blobs. different life form. See, that's him? You're getting a lot of information here, dude. Dude, this has been and great. The main, the main reason you say you don't believe in conspiracies is because, one, it's really hard to keep secrets, but two, it's hard to get a group of people to be that organized over a long period of time. Um, no. Uh, let me approach it the other way, which is how I do it. And I'll use a current example of the, a lot of the kooks out here uh, in Utah. Um, there is this thing that we all are aware of and we are probably proud to say we we are part of, and that's called the scientific method, right? Now, the scientific method has made enormous progress in the last 200 years mainly, and it continues to rapidly accelerate in the progress it makes. So that now, a lot of the beliefs, even when I was a kid, that isn't very long ago. I mean, it's a while back, but very long ago, are now have now been totally dispelled. So the question is, why have a lot of these beliefs that were common in my family, for example, why does no one believe that anymore unless they they are mentally ill? Uh, it's because of fact and evidence and analysis, the scientific method applied to everyday life. So we now understand what a virus is. We could develop this vaccine. We could never have done that in 1950s. We couldn't do it in 1918 because, you know, the Asian flu, I was sorry, the Spanish flu, kill, could have killed as many as 100 million now, a lot of scholars are saying, as opposed to the 50 million is a generally accepted number. If that happened today, we would have had a vaccination in no time. We probably would have lost a million. Why? Because we had, we know how to go about this, how to examine the phenomenon of this virus. We understand a lot about viruses and how they work. Scientific American, for example, about two issues ago, had an incredible issue all devoted to the coronavirus. It was really worth the time of reading. And you knew we were going to get this vaccine based on messenger RNA and all that. But that's that was a language that was not even available. So wait, when I say come in, I mean this. Show me data, show me evidence, and then show me your analysis and what conclusion follows from it. Conspiracy theories start with a conclusion. That's where they start. And then they say, we're going to go out, and they engage in this thing called confirmation bias. I'm going to go out and find a reason, now that I've reached the conclusion I want, that this conclusion's 
correct. And that goes on around here. Let's take the current situation of this election was a fraud. The, the, another lie by Donald Trump, but, but he lies about everything. So, you know, if you, there, there was, there was, was there, uh, let's see, how many did we have here? We have 70 plus uh, 70, 100, let's call it 150 million people uh, across 50 states went in and voted. Were there, was there some fraud? Yes, there has to be. Probabilistically, there has to be. How about previous elections? Yes, there had to be. How about future elections? No doubt about it. Is there enough fraud to overturn the election? There's absolutely no evidence whatsoever for that conclusion. None. Now, if you love Donald, as a lot of these kooks do, and you wanted him to win, then you're going to say there was massive fraud in this election. But by the way, it wasn't there when Ronald Reagan, who we liked, won. It wasn't there when George W. Bush won or H.W. won. When our guy won, there was no fraud. But when our guy loses, there was massive well, fraud. Well, but, but by the way, the, the Democrats, when Trump won, they had their own conspiracy about how the Russians won a forum. So both sides seem to do a lot of this. Well, yeah, and the Russian, the Russian uh, conspiracy thing was examined by the federal government under Robert Mueller, who was uh, anybody's upstanding citizen who had years in charge of the FBI and was widely admired across the aisle of both sides. And as soon as he came along and said, look, we had, we spent $30 million in two years, we could find no conspiracy or collusion with the Russians. And then the Democrats said, oh, we don't like that. Uh, so we have decided that you're a fraud. Uh, you know, you, you, get, you see a pattern here after a while, and you just ignore and dismiss it. Is, is I mean, all... Show me the evidence. Go, go at it the way I say. Show me the data. Show me the evidence. Show me your analysis. And then show me your conclusion. Don't show me your conclusion and work backwards trying to find the evidence. Is politics all theater, in your opinion? Is or is there really something going on between, let's say, Trump and the DNC and what looks like Trump and the Republican establishment? Because my whole theory is like, yeah, they may all be puppets, but they're, the, each of these puppets are fighting for control over a, a government that could dish out billions, if not trillions of dollars in uh, government contracts. That's a very powerful position. It's kind of what everybody's always thought about, you know, governor of Chicago, right? We've always heard that like it, it's shady politics in Chicago and the mayor gets to dole out all the city contracts to his boys who have, you know, these giant construction businesses and stuff like that. Is that possible that's going on in Hollywood that there is a you know, maybe they're all puppets, but these puppets are fighting over the, the who who sits on the throne. Well, I have had a chance to talk to uh, three, one former and two sitting presidents, at least to have a conversation with them, you know, at a luncheon table or something. And I've always asked them one question and other senior people like Kissinger and so on. And that question is, <clears throat> what's it like to be in that job? What do we see versus what it really is? And, you know, Harry Truman was famous for this. He said, the problem with the presidency is you push buttons and then you find out the buttons aren't connected to anything. Uh, so, again, the, I, I would go so far, this may sound a little extreme to you, and in fact it is, but I'm bombing for effect here, to be in any position in the U.S. government and make a lot of personal money from uh, what you do, what decisions you make, I think is impossible. And the reason I think it's impossible is that if you're a Republican, the Democrats are watching you, they've got armies, legions of lawyers, lawmakers, senators, representatives are watching every step you take. And surrounding all of this money that it's spent is an elaborate system of control where you have everybody in the act. And it's very expensive. It's very complicated. 
there are several layers that you've got to go through all the time. And I just don't see how it could ever be done. Now, if you're talking about the local level, where you've got a kingpin mayor like Richard Daly in Chicago, that may be something else, but I have no knowledge of that. But I'll tell you, Lori Lightfoot, the current mayor of Chicago, got her job uh, despite nobody would have believed that a gay woman living with another one who happens also to be African-American could possibly run a city like Chicago, but she did it. The main reason she did it is that she said, there's been enough corruption in our government for many years, vote for me, and they voted for her and she's in office. You can bet that Raul Manuel feels that he's been maligned and everybody before him is looking and watching Laura every step she takes and saying, you're a crook, you're a crook, but you've got to have the evidence, you've got to have the proof. When you make an accusation like that, they immediately set up a bipartisan commission and they say, okay, we've got all the lawyers and money we want. We're going to investigate you from one side to the other. Believe me, if they don't find anything, like in this Russian collusion stuff, they don't find anything. It isn't there. Do you, um, you know, we you, there's this whole push from the left side. I have friends who do this. I'm not, I'm not this into that, but this push for socialism. Do you find that we have corporate socialism already? where we're bailing out too big to fail. And your thoughts on these banks that like play crazy, like Goldman Sachs, I don't know how many of them you know, but you know, when they set together this real estate portfolio, telling their investors to invest in it and then taking out insurance on it. That it you're, talking about, you're talking about privatizing your gains and socializing your losses. Yes. Too big to fail. Yes. Yeah. You're talking about yeah. that. I'm a cap I'm a capitalist, but I am very much against crony capitalism. And when you got government as big as it is, you had to have lobbyists down in Washington. And when I was in charge of that for Citicorp, I was embarrassed as hell and I'd walk into our main lobbyist's uh, office down there and I'd see a picture of him standing there with President Bush forty one. And, and Laura, along with him and his wife, and I, you know, I'm sure it was just a picture they'd take. I said, what is this bullshit? I mean, you know, th what were you there for? What was your purpose? What do we have this whole office here for? And of course, it has to be there because what they're trying to do is influence legislation Congress is considering. And if they don't hear from the industry, they're going to come up with some law that is gonna do a hell of a lot of damage, not just to us, the bank, but in general, because uh, I got on the elevator one time with a senator and he turned around and he said, you've got five minutes to tell me everything you know about SDRs. He was going to a hearing. And he was gonna go and have to vote. Five minutes to tell me what you know about SDRs. And I said, Senator, I couldn't even give you the headline in five minutes, but that's what they deal with. Imagine being a senator. You're dealing with the whole world. Uh, tell me all about the Ukraine and the guy that was uh, working with Hunter Biden. I want to know all about it. Oh, God, what, are you crazy? This is, it's impossible. So we've created a monster and the corporations have to become something of a monster to interact with it. But I, I don't approve of any of that. I've, I've been a critic of it forever at some You've been a critic of the fact that government, like big banks, banks will socialize, they'll, they'll privatize their gains. And then as soon as they make a huge mistake with other people's money, they get the government to bail them out. So, so you, you've been, a, you, you're a big critic of too big to fail, aren't you? I am. But when people say to me, what would you do in, in, in federal reserve governors of us? All right, Callan, you're a wise ass. We saw you on television. Uh, what would you do if you were in our place? I don't have an answer. Should I let them go broke so all those people who had deposits with them lose their money? These are all poor people. I mean, you know, people of modest means. What would that do? Yeah. Teach them a lesson? That's ridiculous. What is, well, your, what is your favorite Brian Callen project that he did? What, was, what did you enjoy the most? Was it... Um, My childhood. Mad your TV. childhood? Mad, Mad TV. TV. 
Brian on Mad TV. Listen, we gotta we gotta wrap this up. My final question. My do Rothschilds eat children? That's my final question. That's my final question. I'll never ask anything again. Do they eat the children? Do they throw hot sauce on? Do the Rothschilds control the world? Do they eat children? Rothschilds, I'll say two things about if you want to talk about the Rothschilds. First of all, there are three different parts of the Rothschild family. Two of them don't even talk to each other. Secondly, they've seen much better days than they have now. If you are going to do a major financial project in Europe, you're not even going to bother talking to the Rothschilds. So maybe their reputation has far outlived reality, but I don't think the reality was ever whatever people thought it was. My dad knows a lot, doesn't he? He's done some You're, reading. He's done it was some an reading. honor and a privilege. I love your son, sir. You, you put out a wonderful human being. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. 80 yeah. years old. Give us, give us wonderful. Some, you're 80, Have you're 80. met my other son? <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, 80, you're 80 years old. You're 80 years old with that with you a mind. You keep saying I'm 80 but, years but old. A, I think we've got to pass that. You've got a very sharp <laughs> mind. Your body's sharp. Your mind's sharp. How give tall us, is your dad? He's 80 years old. You're old. How tall is he? He's six foot four. He's six. And how four. tall are you? I'm five fucking eleven. No, what? I'm all, I'm six feet in shoes. Now here's a question. Give us some advice for, for young people listening. Tell us about the give us just give us a piece of advice in, in all seriousness. And what's the most one of some of the more important things to keep in mind as you as you navigate through life? I for me it's intellectual growth, which should happen every day. And, you know, I mean, it, there is no day when now I've learned what I have to learn. There's, there's no such thing as graduating from, a, from an institutional learning. It doesn't exist. It's some, it's some formal symbolism. But, you know, you, you, I see the people around today, 25, 30, 35 years old, they're ignorant. And they've got, some of them have PhD, one of them that we're very close to here. I mean, I respect what they've accomplished, but they think they've learned something. They haven't learned anything. They're just too much, you know, just way too much to learn. This is coming from a man who plays, he's learning the guitar and practices Italian every day. <laughs> That's wonderful. Honor and a privilege, sir. Thank you for, let, thank you for uh, putting up with my questions. I appreciate that. Sam, you're well, the best. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the conversation. You're the thank best, you, Sam. Sir. I love you, I love Sam. you, Brian. Love hey. all the Callens, class acts. All the Callens yeah, are you. class acts. Thank you very much. Phoenix, Arizona, thank stand you. up live on there January, uh, December 31st, January 1, January 2. And here is his Port, son. Port Charlotte, Florida, <laughs> Visani Theater, January 7th to the 8th and 9th. Uh, Port Charlotte, Florida, Visani Theater. I don't know where that is. Nashville, Tennessee, February 11th through the 13th. I'm at Zanies. Before that, I'm at Chicago, Schaumburg. I don't know the exact date, but I'll find it for you guys. Uh, and Sam, I love you. You're the best. And uh, thanks for listening. Check out my cameos, dog. Cameo.com slash Sam Tripoli. Check yeah. it out. Chin, it's a pleasure as always, Chin. You talk too much this episode, but that's okay. <laughs> Sam, Sam, I mean, Chin, you're the best. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, thanks, Big guys. Mike. Thanks for Big everything. Mike. Big, Mike. Big Mike was the best. <laughs> Later, guys. Bye.